grief, loss, trauma. We all experience it in life. In fact, it's often joked that nothing is certain except death and taxes. At the same time, as a culture and our society here in North America, there is very little support and awareness about grief and loss. For the big stuff, we tend to come together pretty well for the death of somebody or in major tragedies. But even then, there's a lot of guilt I know people feel, and maybe you can relate to this, if you grieve too long or you don't grieve the right way. Let's be real here. There's actually a lot of grief in our world that gets invalidated and dishonored. The impact this has on us as individuals and a collective is profound and damaging. In fact, so much of the work I do as a coach is just hearing people and allowing people to feel heard, like they matter, and validating their experiences. Because the truth is that most of the time, the world tells us that we should be doing something different, or we should or shouldn't be feeling a certain way. And at the end of the day, we are always our own best experts. Today, I have a very special guest to talk with us very deep on this topic of grief and loss. Teresa of La Lupavia is a full-spectrum doula, which means she witnesses bereavement, loss, and birth. She's here to create a revolution and allow people to honor their grief. I am definitely not an expert in grief. I'm a human, I'm a coach who works with incredible women. But Teresa, she is a woman with 20 years of experience and expertise in this realm. I also want to say this up front. We are not counselors, therapists, psychologists, or doctors. We're not trained in mental health in terms of depression, suicide, anxiety, or addiction. We believe in totality and working with a well-rounded group of support system. And what we're sharing here is meant to provide information and ideas as a conversation between Teresa and I. If you are looking for more help now or any time in the future, more support, please reach out and get it. This is not meant to replace counseling, therapy, or medical professionals. And if you listen until the end, Teresa also has a special gift for all of our listeners to help you with your journey as well. This episode is very important for many reasons. First, grief is a very real, very human experience we all go through. And yet talking about it is still very taboo and we don't know how to hold space for it. There's also this weird grief hierarchy in our society where we find ourselves comparing our grief to someone else's and then shaming ourselves for feeling grief when our situation, quote, isn't as bad as someone else's. Often, we don't know how to honor our grief or someone else's, and we judge ourselves and others for grieving, grieving the wrong way, too fast, too slow, or whatever other judgments we make. Now, more than ever, there is so much collective grief about what we've lost, injustices, even anticipatory grief about what is still to come. And that's why this episode and Teresa's work is so incredibly important. I want to give you a heads up on this. The audio in this recording is a bit muffled and there is a background sound that we were unable to get rid of in the editing process. I gotta tell you, we care passionately about audio, so we're working hard to make sure this doesn't happen again. But... I didn't even consider not releasing this episode or trying to re-record it because there was magic when it happened and this message is so important. The words of wisdom from Teresa, they're beautiful, they're pure, and they're in need of being shared and being heard. And I know that there's someone out there that needs to hear this and that's probably you if you're listening to it. So I ask for your grace and your compassion as you listen in. I recognize the quality isn't what we normally strive for and try and produce and create, But the message, the takeaway, and what you're going to learn in this episode is well worth your time. You're listening to this because 
there's probably some grief in your life that you haven't been able to fully process and honor and live with. And that, frankly, is more important than uh, some background noise. So I thank you so much for your grace, your compassion, and thank you for being able to hear even through the background noise. In today's episode, you're going to hear why what our society has taught us about grief is incomplete and in a lot of cases wrong. We're going to talk about what the effects are of how we're currently, quote, processing grief and the ripple effects of what's possible when we learn how to really be with our grief. Teresa shares amazing ideas on how you can move through your grief journey in a healthy and loving way and ideas on what you should and perhaps shouldn't do for yourself and others. You're going to hear practices, tools, ideas to support yourself and others. And most of all, learn how you can transition into more compassion and expansion with your grief and yourself every day. Whether your grief is fresh or decades old, whether you're grieving the loss of your favorite restaurant, your job, a child, a marriage, partner, parent, career, identity, expectation, or anything in between, this episode is for you. In the words of Teresa, your grief is valid. Your grief matters. With this episode, we honor you and your grief with love. And we hope that this starts and helps support you on your grief journey. Welcome to the Golden Girls Podcast, where we believe you can have it all. I'm your host, Lisa Michaud, and I'm spilling tangible tips, goal-getting strategies, and real-life stories to inspire you to tackle your biggest dreams. You're a woman who knows you're made for more. Get ready to leave the excuses and self-doubt behind by being vulnerable, sharing your truth, and having honest conversations so you can succeed on your terms. Together, we'll set goals you'll actually achieve by staying motivated, having fun, and building a community of women empowering women. It's time to tap into your best self, get confident, and truly have it all. Golden Girl, let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Golden Girls Podcast. I am so deeply honored to be here today with Teresa, she, they, them. Teresa is a queer woman serving her community for over 20 years in thresholds and transitions. Teresa is a celebrant, a grief guide, a full spectrum doula, a death walker, yoga therapist, and body worker. Sovereignty, social justice, and inclusivity are foundations of her offerings. And I've had the honor of knowing her for about four years, and it's an absolute pleasure to have you. Thank you so much, Teresa, for being here. Thank you so much, Lisa, for having me, welcoming me into your community. Um, It's really precious, as I mentioned before we started this, to uh, know each other, to grow together and collaborate together on things that really matter. So I love seeing everything that you're passionately bringing to your community and building community. And I think that's everything right now, always has been, but especially right now, community care. So really, I'm so excited and feel privileged to be here. And um, yeah, ecstatic to break the silence on all the things that matter. So. Mm. <laughs> that is one of the things you are so good about. You just take us right from the surface level chatter of every day, right down to the deep work that really matters. Uh, and that's, that's one of the things I really love about you and I'm so grateful for. Um, so can you share your story? You know, how did you come to be all of these things that you are and, and the wise woman that you, that you're here today? Hmm. 
Thank you. I love this question. And it's not a simple answer, really, but I think a combination of something uh, like destiny combined with um, just a real passionate heart, especially for supporting people, and especially for supporting people who are uh, unseen and seeing and sensing the ways, I think, from a young age that people are yearning to be to be held or seen or cared for and wanting to prioritize that. So yeah, I think a combination of very personal unfoldings, you know, our own journeys, heartbreaks, traumas um, that sort of have guided me into seeking, you know, healing or reclamation or community um, and those paths and combined with an undeniable sort of destiny driven experience where I just kept coming across situations of, um, yeah, people needing specific care or people you know, within their grief or someone who's just been in an accident and being seemingly just drawn or putting these situations over and over again, where I sort of had this really precious opportunity to just stay with um, those people in those times and just kept feeling a very big yes to wanting to, yeah, know this deeper intimacy uh, that we experience beyond the surface of how are you doing? I'm good and, and going somewhere deeper. I've always craved that. So I think just uh, recognizing from a young age different injustices in the world um, or ways that people would be hurting or suffering and always really wanting to do more and being a little activist at heart, even at a young age, and that just driving me in, um, of course, activism, social justice work, and healing paths so that, of course, I could tend to my own heart and then always the hunger to then serve community. So I don't know if that makes sense, but a combination for sure of personal and professional paths and passions that brought me to this work and it just continues to unfold. <laughs> oh, that what I love about that is, you know, so many of us, we think of like we're asked the traditional question, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you would keep being asked that really only up until the age of about maybe 16 or 17, maybe 20. And I work with a lot of people who are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, still trying to figure out what they want to be when they grow up. And, you know, I'm guessing that for most of us probably didn't even know that a death doula was a thing uh, at the age of any, you know, any of those ages. I didn't know about it until a few years ago. And so what's really powerful about that is that you are obviously really good at listening to yourself, at taking these nudges that your life is giving you that, and being, I guess, um, in flow with the journey of life, as opposed to like, you know, being five years old, being like, this is what I'm going to be. And then just hitting that target. Um, cause life, life just doesn't always work like that. And our paths are, are so much more nuanced and I think also more beautiful and richer than just a job, one job title or one thing to be when we grow up. And you're a brilliant example of that. Mm, thank you. Thank you. I definitely appreciate that you mentioned, you know, this, this undeniable piece that we're always evolving. And what if we just listen to or follow these impulses when they're not maybe traditional or what society would recognize. I mean, I definitely stepped into many roles that were more traditional, um, teacher, preschool teacher, personal trainer, um, you know, like some beautiful roles that were always involving working with people that I knew from a young age, whatever it was that I was going to do was going to be helping others and really um, 
at the heart, you know, of helping others, like knowing, I think from a young age that I wanted to get into the places where, yeah, people were suffering or disconnected the most. And so, yeah, I didn't know a lot of the things that I'm doing right now even existed as a role or as a path, but um, I definitely kept following as maybe unpopular or um, strange, you know, as it was to be this black sheep in the family doing a different thing. There was just always something in me that kept trusting, yeah, some of these in impulses, instincts towards, yeah, certain work or certain healing. So if anyone, yeah, listening today has those impulses personally or professionally, I think it's a game changer and a life changer to follow them or be curious about them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I didn't even mean to go down like the career path, but it's so, it's so interesting though, when you have these deep conversations, it really just like weaves into the threads of all, all parts of our lives, right? When we go below the surface, you know, we can be talking about grief and also talking about careers and family and society and expectations. And it's, it's good stuff. It's juicy. I love it. <laughs> so good. Um, so let's let's shift gears here a little bit and, and talk about grief because I know this is one of the big um, pieces of your work and something that's really important to you. So starting at the beginning, what, what is grief? What does it mean to you? Um, grief uh, to me is, is uh, so much. To me, it's a very deep language of the soul and it's undeniably and inextricably linked to love. And uh, it is this very natural, you know, very natural emotion and realm, even more than just sort of an emotion, but this realm of um, our experience as humans that, uh, yeah, is so undeniably linked to love and to our um, experiences, whether with the earth, ourselves, our identity, um, that grief is interwoven with love always. And so uh, grief is, is so many things and it's um, definitely different than what we've been told and sold and, and taught. So yeah, the answer to that could be probably two hours worth of this conversation, but we'll just do <laughs> we'll, <laughs> uh, parts of, uh, of it. But it's definitely for me, what I believe is this, yeah, very precious and raw and real place of, of feeling that's, very soul connected and uh, vast, <laughs> vast, yeah, and love. I so I love what you said there. The like the language of love there. Um, so, what do you? I mean, I have my own perceptions, but I'm curious about what yours are. What do you see? How do you see our society treating grief or talking about grief, and why or where do you think believe that goes wrong? Mm. Oh, this is a juicy one. Uh, as far as here, you know, in this society, um, we are intensely grief phobic grief illiterate and uh yeah i just want to honor some of my grief teacher mentors like stephen jenkinson and francis weller um who use this kind of language that really resonates with me that we just don't have healthy um open relationship to grief so we don't understand it uh we live in a shame matrix and so grief is woven into that that folks are really shamed about it and yeah, people become isolated or shamed in their grief. And for good reason, I believe that people don't feel they can be honest about their grief because people sense that there's not this community or safety with uh, how to be held. So people are understandably do not trust that we can be held in this culture. 
And I think um, there's probably many, many roots to that of disconnect that we could, again, do another podcast episode on. But there's cultures all around the world who have very specific rituals and have a healthy, open, receptive relationship to grief being a part of life and how to love and support each other in that. And we're very, very disconnected here from that. And we suffer immensely because of that. I'm always big on like, what is the ripple effect of if someone is supported in grief or at their birth or at a pregnancy loss, what is the ripple effect if someone's not just physically supported, but emotionally, spiritually, energetically? And what is my big passion as an activist um, that I've, all my work, I believe, is based in activism is what is the ripple effect when people are ashamed or dismissed um, in their grief? And it's big. It's a big ripple effect. So, yeah, that big underlying point of like, understandably, we don't trust that we can just crumble and so then what are we doing with all that and holding it in and maybe judging ourselves or others for it so it's yeah it's a big ripple effect if that makes sense oh my gosh so much sense i have like 80 questions from just that one i mean that makes a lot of sense for me um do you mind if i share just a personal story for myself you know um, over Christmas of 2020, I, I was struggling. It was, it was really, I felt really heavy. I was just having a, a really hard time. And I know for myself, I, um, I tried to reach out to some people and I sort of was like, you know, I'm, I'm really struggling. Like I, I can't do this or, you know, this is where I'm at. And the kind of reactions I got was, um, we should just look at the bright side. That's what I do. And I just look at the positive and it'll help make things better. I also got like, you chose a situation, uh, you chose to do this, you made a decision, it is what it is, you should own your choices. Um, and I also got a lot of like the, everyone is going through a hard time, you're actually pretty lucky, it, it could be a lot worse. And I was, I think if that had happened to me, and you know, probably on some levels it has happened to me when I was growing up as a teenager in my 20s probably, and now I'm like, I've like my mid thirties now. And I feel like I'm wiser now. I understand that those are not the kind of reactions. Like that's not a safe place. Like that is grief phobic. Really. I love that phrase. Um, and also I know not everybody has like the resources that I do or the access to people and like you that I've gotten a chance to work with and, and learn from and, you know, books and therapy and all these, all these different resources. Um, and I know that I still struggle, so I can't even imagine what that's like for other people as well without those resources. But those kinds of reactions are really common, aren't they, in, in our society, right? Like that's, and that's something I didn't even, I just thought that was the only way that it was. And it wasn't really until I think this time when I was grieving that I was able to look at it and it, it, I wouldn't say it was helpful, but I was able to at least separate and be like, okay, I can see what this is. And this isn't, this isn't the truth about what I'm experiencing or the truth about what I need to move forward. I don't need to just think positive. I don't need to just be grateful for what I, what I have. I don't just need to own my choices and suck it up, buttercup. Um, there's a different option out there. And that's, that's one of the things I, I'm so grateful for this conversation and to literally put a mic to, um, too, that there's like this, that there's alternatives, that there's other ways, because I only grew up knowing the one way. Um, so I'm curious for my own self, you know, I know you've had a lot of experience with different cultures around the world and what, like, what do other cultures do differently than ours? Like, what does it look like? I'm, I, I feel like I know there's an alternative, but I don't even really know what that is. So what does it, what would it look like in a society that 
that whole space for grief? Like, what are some of those rituals? What tell me about that? Cause it sounds, I'm already like, when can I move there? Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> um, I just want to thank you for that personal share and honor your courage and vulnerability to share that and just say also, I'm sorry that you were ashamed and judged in that. And I'm so inspired by your, your knowing that it's worthy to talk about and to be held and witnessed and validated. So just really honoring you in that and your, and your commitment to yourself and self-worth to, to keep saying, no, actually this matters. Um, we see with uh, other cultures around the world, there's a healthy relationship to grief. There's just a, a woven in understanding um, from a young age that grief is a part of life. Like there's more uh, honoring of the totality of our humanness. So, you know, instead of protecting children from someone who's grieving and trying to hide it, like there's just, there's exposure, there's normalizing of, you know, whether it's children at a, a funeral or a ritual where people are crumbling and grieving and it's unchoreographed kind of grief, like not this contained North American keep it clean, but like real unchoreographed wild grief, there's the normalizing of that from a young age. And so what a difference as opposed to here in this culture, we think we're protecting, you know, our, our children and youth from hiding things that are natural and normal in our experience. So that's a big one. And then the rituals might be just that the village knows that we're all going to take a turn being on our knees crumbling. And so if that, you know, neighbor or that person in the village is, is there and choreographed in their grief, like that someone's going to feed them and someone's going to witness them. And sometimes of course there's more specific um, rituals, but there's just this underlying like respect for death and grief, if that makes sense. So it's, that's the biggest difference of all so that we're, we're not running from it and trying to do everything to avoid it, but going towards it. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's, uh, that can come in many, many forms. Like I said, it might be a very, you know, simple little ritual down at the river or a real specific ritual of like a whole community or village gathering, um, to grieve together, to play certain music that helps and supports people, you know, weeping and hollering and such a difference from what we have here going on. Yeah. yeah. It's so, and what, one of the things that you, so much of what you said is beautiful and thank you for, for sharing like an alternative. It's just so, so profound. I love what you said there about um, that everyone in the community knows at some point it's, it's going to be them. And that's just so, so humbling. And I, there's a really stark difference too, between the like a grief hierarchy, if you will, or like the, well, like it's not as bad as somebody else's or like the comparison in a, that sort of toxic sense versus like, we all struggle with grief and we all honor each other's grief. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, uh, even though they both underlie that, you know, everyone's going through hard times, that's the core message of both. One of them, it can be really, and I believe exists in our society in a really toxic way that, well, my grief isn't as valid as somebody else's, or you shouldn't be grieving as long as this person, or why can't you tough it up? That kind of an idea. Um, and then the other side of that is just so beautiful, which is like, we all know it's going to be somebody else's turn and we all, one day it's going to be our turn. And so we show up to support each other. Like how, how beautiful is that? You know, same underlying 
message or theme, if you will, and two totally different takes on it and two totally different, as, as you said, ripple effects of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally different. Yeah. We appreciate, yeah, breaking the silence on like your story, for example, and what you were told and the ripple effect of that. And this, um, you know, there's a lot of talk in anti-racist work and inclusivity work that we may not have the intention you know, to hurt or harm, but intention versus impact and understanding, um, if any of you are open to reflecting, you know, understanding the impact of when you think you're trying to help and you say, look at the bright side or, you know, look at someone else that got it worse than you, but like there is an impact and sometimes it's subtle and sometimes it's very, very harmful um, to be dismissive, judgmental and these, yeah, these pieces. So uh, it's kind of like a lot of unlearning that we need to do really at the end of the day, unlearning um, these scripts that are very much based in bypassing or based in our own discomfort around a human experience and, and so much unlearning and to become so spacious, so spacious to know that we don't know, to know that it could be 20 years ago that someone had a pregnancy loss or an abortion or something could go on and they went through deep grief and then it's 20 years later and then that's surfaced and it's wild and it's just all encompassing and maybe no one around you around you understands it but we have to almost be fierce and validate ourselves first and foremost and then in our own ways communicate what we need to others because they may not understand it but for all of us to become way more spacious and to also say and i love this um power of and instead of but so this comparison piece that you brought up with comparing our grief and whatnot how harmful that can be um or maybe you witness someone who had a pregnancy loss and and they navigated different than someone else like to just become so spacious and to say wow in the world right now there is so much you know collective trauma collective grief um that if we are someone who's you know cares about social justice we're aware of all of the big uh, unfoldings as far as racism, as far as colonization. I mean, the list goes on. And sometimes we can dismiss ourselves within also understanding these other big pictures, say, around the world of what's happening. But to say, like, I'm navigating this grief and that matters. And I can also really care about the grief of, um, like, today's International Day Against Homophobia and Transphobia. So I can really care um, and have grief around you know, what people have to walk through uh, in their journeys who are queer and trans and um, not compare it to my own personal journey, but to hold both. How can we hold both instead of comparing and allow all of it to matter? Uh, because that's what I'm hearing a lot of folks right now will just say about their experience during this pandemic. Oh, I'm you know experiencing this, but it's not as bad as, and that's like, Absolutely. We need to really honor. And again, that this is so um, interesting and layered because I think weaving in my awareness as a white woman of privilege um, into all the pieces that I'm aware of is so important. And to, yeah, to honor the different collective grief I may be experiencing other people's grief and journey and also my own. And so we have to just keep returning to what we experience matters, our grief matters, and the grief or experiences of the world that we couldn't possibly compare to because we wouldn't know 
matters also. Yeah. Oh, you just boiled that down to something so simple and profound at the same time, which is, I think, one of your gifts is being able to, to take these really tough tough situations and these things that we've been taught or not taught and boil it down to as something as, as simple as honoring both with an and as giving space and giving yourselves permission to honor what we have and being able to also honor the things that we will never understand or can never understand. Um, so yeah, so good. <laughs> I got to move my box to Kleenex closer. <laughs> I know if you're listening, maybe a box of Kleenex, maybe a towel. Yeah. I'll have to add that into the intro. <laughs> you know, and on that note of like tears or crying, it's so fascinating how, because I, I will share, um, and I definitely want to just honor that a lot of, a lot of my work, um, yeah, is definitely inspired by the healthy, the, re the cultures that are creating and have had traditionally healthy relationships with grief. So something, for example, that I do is sometimes one-on-one -on -one work with folks with grief, but sometimes it's a larger group and we're doing more dance and somatic body, you know, movements that support us moving through our grief. And there's a real tendency in this culture to rush to someone crying and kind of this energy, even though it, of course, has a, a caring intention, but there's almost like a shh or an intention to just stop that flow or make it quiet or not as big. And, um, this is something also to unlearn, like, you know, growing our ability to, um, or what do I say here, growing our discomfort, our ability to be with discomfort and growing our respect of grief and growing our respect of, man, when that person's sobbing, I mean, grief is very active in the body. We're talking about the physiology and physicality of it. It's very active. And so we're taught to push, push, push it down when the cycles in the body are trying to rise it up. So those tears are helping, cleansing. And sometimes there's like, <gasps> the jaws fluttering if you're really in a deep cry. And like, that's a big recalibration in your nervous system and um, an integration and a, a digesting. And it's, it's just, yeah, precious and powerful, but also fascinating to see the ways that we're like, trying to <laughs> shut it down or, you know, and, and with compassion, noticing that maybe it makes us uncomfortable to holy shit, see someone undone. Yeah. yeah. That's so interesting that you said that because literally last week I have been in a sensitive kind of week. I told you before we recorded the podcast episode, I was like, okay, no mascara because <laughs> it will come out. It will come off. Um, and so I went and like, okay. And here's already my, um, like my inner critic or my, you know, pattern of what my society has taught me in terms of grief. But I'm like, oh, I shouldn't even share the story because it's so such a first world problem. But I, I was having a facial last week and I was um the woman had come in and she was just like a really lovely soul. And she was asking about my, my daughter. And I said she's three and she said, Oh wow, it's such a special age and it goes so fast. <laughs> and even just sharing the story again. A week later, it's clearly, you know, raw still. And uh, I don't know what exactly what it is. But as soon as she said this, I just felt this flood of emotion. And I just started crying right on the facial table. <laughs> and uh, I was okay with it. I was like, oh, this, you know, here we are. You know, this is the first time I've kind of sat all week. And this is what's here. And, and 
right away she was like, oh, you know, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have upset you. And I shouldn't have said this thing. And she was like, oh, bad me, bad me. And I shouldn't have done this. And um, she's like, I'm so mean to do that. And, you know, brought out the tissues. I was like, I'm okay. You know what? I'm thank you. And I am, this is obviously what needed to come out somewhere. And I'm, you know, like culturally, I'm like, I'm kind of sorry I was on the facial table, but I'm not sorry. Cause it obviously needed to come out and it's really, um, like, I don't, I don't have it all figured out, but it was an interesting part of my journey. And also being able to see the tendency to like, kind of make it smaller, make it go away. And also to feel, or, and I think she also felt really bad. Like she made me cry and it was like, well, it wasn't you, like this just needed to come and needed to be. Um, but it's such an interesting piece of our culture. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) So much good stuff. Um, you know what? So I feel, it always feels so much better to let it all out. And like anybody listening, you, you know, this, right. A good cry, good dance, a good, good conversation always helps. But Teresa, I want to know, you know, you talk about the ripple effect now a couple of times, like what is the ripple effect of us not letting it out? What is the ripple effect of that, that active grief that wants to come out and us shutting that down? What does that, what does that do for us? Um, it can be so layered. Like I really uh, love to honor that we are multi-layered beings. We are physical body. So there is ripple effect of how that can affect us physically to suppress grief, um, energetically, emotionally, spiritually, there's like each one of those has a ripple effect. I believe, um, for example, physically, you know, to suppress grief over and over, um, can be sometimes we get stuck or frozen like a bit in our nervous system or our brain like we're you know deep in grief and we can't seem to you know like we're forgetting things or like um i mean there can be a huge huge ripple effect that i I couldn't possibly even describe because there's such a range of experiences but physically it might be you know back pain or pelvic floor um you know yeah, pains or issues going on, uh, heart related, like literally the heart and increased, whether it's increased heart rate and anxiety, um, huge effect on the physical body and emotionally, energetically also like whether it's just deep in shaming ourselves and our whole mindset and perceptual state is constantly in that judgment of ourselves for why am I grieving this again? This is 20 years ago, or why can't I get over this? Or, you know, that kind of mentality um, is a lot of pain and suffering for people in a ripple effect if not supported. Um, and it goes on and on energetically, spiritually, whether we're telling ourselves, well, I, you know, do yoga and I meditate, but I'm not spiritual enough because I haven't figured this out um, or I'm not healed. And I just, I just care so deeply about the ways that people are suffering and know that there is all possibilities in simple moments with a shift of perception or a simple gesture or a simple ritual that we can really be held differently in grief. So it's not about like healing or fixing or bypassing or, you know, come to me, you know, for your grief and you will be healed by the end of the session. Like there's nothing like that. There's no agenda. There's there's nothing curative here. It's just a really I have a profound, deep respect for grief. And I can hold space with it. And if anything, we're just creating structures to lean into. So we might still be in that grief journey for a long time, but 
Can we be more held in it, more nurtured, more validated in it? Yeah, so that answers a bit of that ripple effect, but it's it's huge. Yeah. And not to scare people, but just to say also, if we yeah, shift even simple things, we can start to shift that physical energy or emotional energy. I can imagine anyone listening that is that has any kind of grief. And I imagine that's probably everybody right now. Cause as you mentioned, collectively, there's so much right now. There's, there's trauma, there's grief, there's injustice. There's so much pain that even just the words that you use there, you know, nurtured and held and supported. I mean, that just sounds like the warm cup of tea and chicken noodle soup that we, that we all need <laughs> for, for our hearts. Right. So beautiful. Oh, so nurturing. Oh, I just want to mention quickly the nurturing can look like many things. It could be something more soft and soothing, and yes, the cup of soup and a sweet little you know ritual outside with flowers. Um, but sometimes the nurturing that I walk with people in grief is like if they're coming with rage connected to their grief, which is a very natural thing. Boop boop. Um, then we we work with that, and the nurturing is more active. You know, so I really meet people where they're at, and it's a co-creation, and I have many different um, tools, so to speak, to, to draw from, to nurture. So I just want to blow open that definition real quick before we move on about like what nurturing is and we can nurture each other in so many more ways than we've been taught. Sometimes it's soft and sometimes it's wild um, to feel nurtured. We need different things. Some days it's a bath and candles and chocolate and another day I need to run up a mountain and you know howl like a wild wolf and get dirty and <laughs> sometimes we need alone time to be nurtured other time you want to be held so yeah that's an important <laughs> yes i'm so glad you blew that open so good so good uh i know that this i'm really glad you brought this up too because i wanted to talk to you about rage and i know that's something that you have a passion around you want to break the silence on it so what do you want to say what like, what is there to, to be said about rage um because I think it's something that we don't talk about. So I'm like, I don't even know where to start. So you tell me all the things. <laughs> yeah, where do we start? It's juicy stuff. But yes, breaking the silence on things that matter and breaking the silence on parts of our human experience that just aren't being uh, talked about at all, let alone cared for. So uh, rage, you know, as far as understanding in this culture is we're very binary in our thinking on so many things. So crying is like, you know, bad and, and not crying means you're strong or um, rage is only, you know, bad and violent, um, which of course it can have that um, effect if it's uh, channeled in a certain way. And um, the rage here that is important to talk about is rage connected to injustice, whether it's a personal injustice or collective injustice, that that is a healthy, natural response to say someone crossing a boundary, um, a healthy natural response to um, many different unfoldings, you know, in the world, uh, you know, looking at um, beautiful BIPOC, which is black indigenous people of color um, and their rage regarding the way the world is treating them. Like that is holy and sacred and really important. A lot of the time that our rage can actually be, connected back to our sense of self-worth, right? If someone comes to me and they're sharing their grief that has rage woven in, um, a lot of the time, it's, it's um, so exciting to me that they know 
their worth. And so that anger or rage that they're sharing is, is a lot of the time, yes, yeah, stemming from injustice. And so honoring rage as a wise teacher or one of my favorite books, uh, Women Who Run With the Wolves, Clarissa Pinkola Estes has a whole story, um, beautiful mythology type stories to help us remember who we are. And in this one story, you know, she just says like, what if we sat down and had a cup of tea with the rage to just be like, what's happening? What matters? And stay curious about it, right? Instead of just being like, oh, well, that person or that woman is, they're just crazy. Just be like, wow, like what is, what's going on for you? What really matters to you? What, what is this rage connected to? Oh, that's an injustice. That is like a healthy, natural response in a lot of cases that you would be experiencing that. And how can we listen to that as a deep teacher and then support each other in that so that if it's a, a big energy, grief is an active energy, so is anger and rage. They're very active in the body. Um, then I'm always curious how to support folks to physically um, digest and integrate and express the rage in a way that um, is more supported and regulated. So for example, sometimes it's a very active Kundalini meditation. And sometimes it's, you know, I bring back my personal training background and my martial arts background and we do some martial arts or kicking, um, punching work, uh, but we do it very regulated. It's a lot of rest, a lot of rest in between and after. So there's ways to emotionally and physically, spiritually, energetically work with it and stay curious about it to understand, understand ourselves more and what's, you know, what really matters to us. And yeah, what boundary was crossed? Like it's such an intimacy. And I think Francis Weller, who wrote the, um, the beautiful book on grief and lots of uh, works on grief and things you can find on YouTube for free with him. Um, I'll remember the name of the book at some point today. But in one of his talks, he talks about like what an intimacy it is. It's so intimate if someone shares what matters to them, and especially their things that they're angry about or have rage about. And I've always, I was like, yes, I've always felt that way, that as strange as it sounds, and people are like, whoa, it must always just be so heavy, the work you do. But, and it can be, but sometimes, a lot of times, it's also deeply inspiring to hear people claim what matters to them and to share that intimacy we're not just like, how you doing? I'm good and surface level. Like we're, we're going to the heart. <laughs> it's about truth and honesty in those moments. So I could go on, but I'll start with that. <laughs> wow. Oh, amazing. Amazing. I really didn't know what, like what, I just didn't know anything about that. And I think that that's obviously still a spot where I didn't know a lot and understand. Because for me, when I hear rage, I often just think of like road rage. It sounds so silly, but it's so true how those moments um, – and I encourage this a lot with, with my clients. I think, I, I don't know if it's my personality or maybe in like 10 years, we'll talk about something like, oh, it was my conditioning or my programming and that I, I'm not typically a, a person with a lot of rage. Um, but I love that it's just about honoring and being curious about it as opposed to pushing it down. And that's definitely like a big theme with all the work that you're doing is to just be authentic with what is going on for you and to allow yourself to flow through it and feel it and be with it and and honor it to then learn and 
I'm guessing then like move through it, right? Or integration is kind of what you've been, what you've been talking about as well. So what does it look like to actually move through? I, I mean, we've heard some tidbits here and there, but what do you believe it looks like to move through a grief journey with love and in a healthy way? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that means, I mean, it, it's honoring what is connected to the grief. So if it's grief and rage, um, that to me is a form of love. If again, an injustice or a boundary was crossed to um, speak the truth, be validated, be supported and whatever, because grief is, is, it's grief. And then as many people already know, right, there's so many other emotions connected to it. And so to move through it with love, I think first and foremost is to know that we're worthy to be heard and witnessed and validated with zero judgment in a space where there's zero agenda to fix or change us and to be given yeah, tools, ideas of how to be nurtured in that with a continuous validation from ourselves to just say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm in this grief right now. What beauty can I touch that will help my heart or what people or communities will actually hold me in this? And this may resurface in, in my, you know, few months or a few years and to keep validating so to move yeah into any grief journey with love is is a fierce dedication to validation and finding the people who will validate and sometimes it's like people are like no people in my life just dismiss me even though they love me they don't know how to hold this space and so writing about it and in your own writing validating you know yourself um, sometimes, you know, I guess it's maybe being in my 40s and becoming more fierce and discerning. But when I feel like possibly someone hasn't been taught, you know, how to hold space, I will check in and just say, I really love to be witnessed in something unfolding for me related to grief. Do you have time and space to hear me, to witness me? I'm not looking for answers. I'm not looking for anything other than to be witnessed. So I simply just want to share this bit. And then at the end, if you could just say, I hear you. And I love you and this matters. Can you do that? Do you have space for that? And they might say yes, they might say no. But that's been really beautiful for me and liberating to just be like, this is what I need. Can you do this? Checking in because I care about them. And if they say yes, teaching them how to support me. This is this is what I need. You don't have to give me an answer or say it's going to be okay. I actually don't want you to say anything, but just to listen or just to be and say you hear me. <laughs> That's incredible. That is so yeah. powerful. Oh my gosh. One of the other amazing things that I love about you is you have this really special gift, uh, lots of gifts. One of them, you have a really big gift of just making people feel seen and heard and and worthy, valid, and um, honored. Like that's just a really, a really great gift of yours. And you also have this incredible gift to have bring compassion to literally everybody. Because it's very easy. And I even, you know, when I share the story of, of the grief responses that I got, and I wanted to say, I'm like, I don't, I don't want to judge those people. And you just like, you just take it one step further of like, I, I care about them. I, I wanted to help them learn too. And I want to make sure that they're available for the space. And that's such a, such an incredible quality of yours is that you truly do hold compassion, um, the, the ability for everyone to learn. And, um, I think you, I don't want to say, 
assume best intentions, but you seem to really assume that people, um, that people are capable of coming along with this journey with you. And you are so warm and open to sharing that and bringing them along with you that that's why you're such a game changer. That's why you are changing the world. That's why you are the activist and the powerhouse in so many ways that you are is because you, you can share this in such a compassionate and inviting way that makes people want to be drawn to you and come along with you as opposed to feeling, um, you know, like they're, they're not doing it the right way or that they're not getting it. They're doing it wrong. And it brings up shame and judgment. So that's, maybe that's all like one big gift of making everybody just feel worthy and bringing them along on the journey. It's, it's incredible. Thank you, love. I think uh, we are all truly just learning and that is yeah at the heart of all learning is to stay compassionate to our experience because yeah, if you're listening to this, you might be crying because you're finally feeling like you can validate yourself in grief that others didn't valid, uh, validate you in and you finally feel that relief. And then also at the same time, you might be reflecting on like, oh shit, I kind of dismissed or shamed somebody uh, in a way that I was years later that didn't feel good to me. And, and so we're just like probably unfolding a lot right now and to stay compassionate to, yeah, the times where <laughs> we contributed um, and not intentionally to dismissing, harming um, and, and staying, you know, on fire for, okay, I'm going to stay committed to, yeah, the ways that I can validate myself and others and break down my judgments. Um, I want to quickly add in that, like the compassion for myself sometimes is saying to someone, again, your choice and, and you'll choose in the situation boundaries and whatnot, but I have said, and even a lot lately, because people are, again, just even my loved ones, close ones. Um, are all learning and unlearning and just saying that actually isn't helpful or I feel really dismissed when you say that and uh, this grief is normal and natural and it's just something that I'm in and so I'm honoring that and so that uh, that's a whole nother level of like self-compassion you know and, and then I think compassion for that person too because we're not just saying it's okay you know and it's inviting them into deeper care <laughs> but it's yeah. not always comfortable to do that right <laughs> i mean none of this is comfortable though right and that's what this is about is learning together and and for ourselves learning to be comfortable in the uncomfortable something that um that is a lot easier said than done but also magical once you get going on that journey and you're definitely, you know, you're a few steps ahead of, ahead of where I am, which is why I look to you for such guidance. And then also I love that you said, you know, those are such concrete um, and powerful words and phrases that anyone can, can borrow because sometimes we don't always know what to say, or like, I know for myself, like I definitely have said the wrong thing and I definitely have minimized other people's grief too. And so I don't, and I also, as a people pleaser, I don't always know how to say that's not okay without coming across I don't even know, like without worrying about what other people are going to think or are other people going to like me. So the phrases that you said, and even just the energy you bring, the the words that you said are so powerful, whether it's, you know, asking for someone to be witness you um, and to validate, or whether it's, you know, being really authentic about when something has made you feel invalidated or that it's, you're going to hold, continue to hold the space for yourself. So those were awesome 
I'm like, I don't want to call them like a stock phrase, but they're, they're great, you know, little, little tools in the tool belt to pull out for those of us that maybe like me don't know exactly what the right words are. Um, so thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And I don't think there's any prescription necessarily at all. I mean, different people, you know, that I've worked with over the years in their grief, you know, I'm talking to them saying what would be helpful to hear right now. And the, the answers absolutely can vary. So even just being honest about that, I mean, like, I don't, I care so deeply. I hear your grief and I don't know exactly what to say right now. If there's anything that I could say that would be helpful, um, I'm happy to you know, affirm that to you. And just to be honest with you, like, yeah, I don't know what to say. And if anything, it's, it's just like wonderful that people can be honest and they're mumbling and they don't like, <laughs> you know, stumbling, but really being, um, vulnerable in that honesty and instead of the platitude or the thing that's really <laughs> gonna frustrate someone i mean because yeah there's not like this answer um or a couple words that are gonna change you know very raw deep grief but um, it can be love honesty and the willingness to learn <sighs> sounds like a <laughs> Sounds like a really great recipe for, for shifting our culture and the way that we, we honor grief. It's so beautiful. See, you have this gift of like pulling a lot of complex or a lot of complex things into here's a few words, here's some things that here's some concepts that can really be helpful. Very powerful. Thank you. Um, this is a question that I have for you. I was listening to him. I'm like, now I'm curious. I'm like, I don't know if this is spiritual bypassing or what this is. But I was listening to a book the other day talking about um, about choosing joy and about choosing to be happy. And it was a spiritual book. And there's been a lot of other great takeaways in this book that I really loved. And this one chapter, it talked about um, about making the choice and about how, you know, nobody can guarantee what your life is going to hold, you know, what kind of grief you might experience, what kind of challenges you might have. But um, it's up to you to choose to choose happiness. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on this. You know, is this, is, at what point is it spiritual bypassing? At what point is it, um, can it be really liberating for ourselves to choose happiness in, in the face of injustice or in the face of tragedy? Because I've also heard that that can be very liberating. I'm I'm wondering what your take is on this because I feel a little bit confused in it. I'm like, do I choose joy? Do I consciously, um, you know, do I, can I, it's, it's radical to find happiness even in times when you're not like not supposed to be happy and that can be really liberating or am I then toxic positivity and am I dishonoring my grief and, and I'm guessing maybe there's like some sort of a balance between the two, maybe some sort of a dance. Tell me, tell me your thoughts. Cause I clearly don't know. <laughs> oh, I love this. Um, I, <laughs> I'm curious if the writer is a white man. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna have to go Google his picture. It is possible. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm. I I would need to know. You know, I would need to like read the book to understand the full context. But I do have like a, an initial personal recoiling when I hear that. Um, we can hold so much simultaneously. So I'm the gnarliest grief of my life uh there are still moments um, that i've experienced of you know beauty happiness or joy um and that all of that can exist at once 
and like, yeah, so I just would need to know, like, in, in this book, I would love to know, yeah, what is the, what are the rest of the words? What is the context? Like, it, it does to me sound a bit like spiritual bypassing, toxic positivity. Um, yes, absolutely choosing, like staying, I want to keep my heart open in this grief and open to love and open to um, beauty and knowing that all of it can exist. Um, but is, yeah, is the teaching saying that there are a lot of spiritual teachings out there and I'm you know, going to just be honest here that are very based in toxic positivity where uh, grief is seen as you know bad or something that needs to be fixed or changed um, or yeah that is judged or anger or rage so I'm always curious whatever uh, a self-help book or a spiritual tradition you know is there a bypassing of the human experience and we're so stuck in, you know, the grief is, you know, dark or bad, but, um, you know, try speaking to someone who, yeah, just lost uh, a loved one unexpectedly in a tragic accident or, um, yeah, the, to me, it just seems layered and privileged. Like, just choose happiness and you're looking at, um, you know, people of color in certain parts of the world who are experiencing horrific, you know, racist colonization, like, like, yeah, if you have a broader picture of social justice, that kind of stuff, even to me, makes me recoil a bit more like absolutely daily. Yes. Choose, you know, love and joy and happiness and, and, and have that as a, and, and choose to respect your humanness also. So when you're respecting and choosing um, to honor your grief, it's honoring like so much of the time what you've loved, in this life that you've loved. So yeah, I guess I'm just always curious if this question is brought up, who is the person teaching this teaching? What are their thoughts about grief and anger? Um, what is their awareness of their own privilege and all these layers? I think it's very, yeah, very layered. I mean, I don't know if that's making sense, but. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the book is The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, yes. Okay. So a lot of the other parts of the book, and I probably, I kind of um, am probably giving, making it sound a little bit more, you know, hashtag girl bossy, which I've totally used. And I'm not, but like a little bit more like the choose joy, like fluffy. Whereas a lot of the other parts of the book do talk about very much opening and whatever, you know, you're, you find yourself protecting against is really where you need to go to explore. And so I do, I do think, um, that's an, yeah, I, I don't know about his, these are great questions for me to be asking too, you know, like who's this person writing it? What are their, what are their privileges? What are their, you know, how does this look in the, the bigger context of the world? I don't know those answers. Um, so the, the, that's really eye opening for me too, to listen to. Um, and I, I think, what I'm hearing you say and what I, this is kind of where I've been sitting in is like this idea that it's important to feel all these things, to process this, you know, to a lot, to honor the human experience. Um, and I would be willing to guess, this is my completely uneducated experience here, but I feel like the more that we do that, the more that then we are able to actually be in real happiness and joy that when we can actually honor those things and break down and open up, um, then like happiness is able to be there even after the, the tough 
the tough challenges, the things that come up that we have no control over. Yes, 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 yes. I got shivers right now. Yes, there's, I forget the quote exactly, but it's something, um, I think it's either Stephen Jenkinson again or Francis Willard, but something about like grief is connected to love and aliveness. And so grief being like an emotion or realm of the soul um, and however you, you know, describe that for you. But if we're suppressing and pushing that down, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's huge impact on our lives. So the more, the more that I have allowed, yeah, the grief that's very real and authentic in my life to exist or to be validated. Um, I feel like the depth of my joy has also, yeah, amplified. Like there's a quote, um, oh, I want to, I almost don't want to share it if I can't remember who said it, but I will I'll send it back to you if I can't remember any of the podcast, but it's something like as deep as, uh, as deep as sorrow has carved within me, that too shall be my capacity for joy. As deep so as good. Cavern as sorrow has carved within me, that too shall be my capacity for joy. And I don't want this again to be any sort of judgmental, you know, piece that we use against ourselves to be like, well, shit, I'm in like the deepest grief of my life and I don't feel any joy right now. Um, so just, yeah, just putting that out there that to not use that as a way to judge ourselves. Um, and that it is possible that there is like an aliveness there, like, uh, death work and grief work i just always go so deep into appreciating life and um it sort of opens my eyes from this like veil of illusion to like what really matters and i find that that's this wild some people call it initiation others call it other things but if we go really in a deep experience of grief we're changed and we see the world differently and so yeah my hope is that touching beauty, touching these flowers in springtime or experiencing love um, also I think is for me intensified and allowing yeah, that grief. So I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Oh my gosh. The word that came to my mind was numbing. Like it's almost like I think we numb ourselves to a lot. And I think if we numb ourselves to grief or the, you know, any of the, the natural life, emotions and experiences, then we, we also end up inadvertently numbing the things that are so beautiful and so rich and alive in us. Um, so that, that quote you shared is so amazing. And that, I think that also speaks to the positive ripple effect that if we can honor our grief, you know, how much, how we can see the world differently, how we can hold compassion differently, joy, health, love, uh, vitality, authenticity. There's just so much more space for that as well. And in, I see you nodding your head. I'm like, okay, so this is, that's what you're talking about in terms of the ripple effect of the good when we can really honor and be with our grief and, and validate ourselves. Yeah. It's life-changing. I mean, I've seen people who speak their grief in the midst of labor and things are slowing down or sort of stuck and something's going on and then they speak a, a certain grief and then the baby comes or, uh, a grief finally is shared and someone looks like their skin tone changes, the eyes change after a huge sobbing and, uh, you know, and then the ripple effect of that, like huge um, liberation, I think on a lot of levels to finally honor it. And I want to quickly speak before I forget to the numbing piece that yes, we can get actually, like I said, frozen, like doing uh, physiological tests on the body, the heart, the nervous system, the brain, that we can be kind of come stuck in these frozen states 
if we're just either deep in grief that overwhelms us um, or having to push it down, something that Kundalini Yoga or some physical somatic breath work can really support us digesting, integrating and becoming unstuck. Um, and I think there's something to be honored here to not shame again, anyone, if they're numb in their grief, again, we, we don't know like what one grief is for someone may not be the same impact for another person. So we just, we never know why someone's so deep in a grief and not judging that. And I really think there's almost initially some kind of wisdom, would I say to like right now we have so many cumulative losses in our personal lives collectively. And of course we're not all in the same boat. I don't believe that at all. Um, and there's so many losses. And so a lot of people are just like, I just don't feel like I have much energy and I'm stuck. And I think there's this, yeah, I guess I call it wisdom, like a hibernation, like a cocooning, like just so much has happened or this one event that just blew our whole lives apart or our heart apart. And we're just like, holy shit and cocooning and hibernating. And sometimes you really need to do that for a while. And I think there's even another layer to that in this society that doesn't know how to hold us in our grief. That we're just trying to just land and be, and then eventually, hopefully, there'll be community or practices or rituals to support us coming out, and then maybe we need to cocoon again, you know, and to allow that, um, that dance or that expression. And, yeah, it's just so... Um, complicated, beautiful, layered that we make these judgments, oh, they're stuck in their grief. Like, what does, what does that mean? You know, do we not understand what it's like to lose a partner suddenly to an accident um, or whatever that thing is? Um, what does that even mean? Is that like someone's failing at life? Is there a way while they're deep in their grief, instead of stuck in it, while they're deep in grief, that they could be more supported, that they could have more love to lean into or something to lean into. So it's not about fixing, but just um, creating more structures for people to lean into and be validated and witnessed. And we need that. I think we're wired, we're born needing. That's one of the big griefs actually. Um, and the Gates of Grief by Frances Weller is we're born needing love and safety and community. We're physiologically wired for all of that. And so when we don't get it, um, there's this deep grief underlying, you know, well, just deep within us. And so sometimes folks will come to like a, a full moon circle of mine that's fun and playful and I'll and get really emotional and just say, oh, I, I'm grieving because I've just been craving like community. And I feel like I haven't had that, but that's been authentic. Um, or these other moments in our lives where we finally meet someone who can witness us without judgment. And then this grief, like a, a, a joy in how good that feels combined with the grief around like, why haven't I had that more? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, so much. I feel like we, <laughs> I'm really grateful. Um, Teresa is going to be leading a, an incredible workshop for us in Golden Girls Community and Mastermind in June. And I know we're actually going to put into practice a lot of these, these things. And I'm, I'm so excited, grateful, um, 
all those things because I know that those, those are the spaces I've been blessed enough to be a part of many of your yoga classes, uh, your prenatal yoga, your prenatal partner yoga, uh, your one-on-one sessions, a lot of the work. Oh, and your, your grief, um, the grief sessions that you've done too, virtually. And you do have an ability of bringing together people with authenticity and compassion. And we need that now more than ever before. And so, so, so important. What other pieces of advice or things you think might be helpful for someone to hear um, who's maybe trying to support other people in grief too? Um, I'm, I'm imagining there's probably some people listening who are listening because they've got someone else in their life who's who's needing support. And in our, you know, as you call, say, grief illiterate society, um, we don't. I don't know if we all know how to do that. So, what uh, what wisdom do you have to share with them? Hmm. I love this question. And so based in care, um, again, there's not just one answer. Everyone's experience of their grief is so different. So that I think just holding that and respecting that, first of all, and being willing to be vulnerable, taking the risk to be vulnerable with someone you care about. So maybe it's something like, um, yeah, they're sharing something with you and you, instead of thinking you have to fix it or change it, or say the right thing or have an answer to just say to yourself, like, you couldn't possibly have an answer to this. They don't need to be fixed or changed. You know, so you're listening and you're reminding yourself of that. And at the end, just saying, I love you. Um, I hear you. Your grief matters. That can be life-changing for a lot of people. Just I love you. Your grief matters. I'm holding you in this grief. And sometimes it's asking yourself, what could I offer in their grief as a form of nurturing? So someone's grieving and maybe you offer once a week to drop off a couple of meals um, or help out with a few chores um, or, hey, you want to go for a walk with me? And you're just pointing out things in nature that are beautiful. So you're not telling them that they should do something um, to come out of their grief or get over it, but you're just inviting them to touch beauty be around beauty to be in nature helps us in our grief so it doesn't even have to be something you're necessarily directly speaking to but yeah we go down to the ocean today and um, walk along the ocean take our shoes off and put our feet in the water um it can be so many things and yeah check in with what you're capable of what you're um, able to do when of course we're all going through a lot and then asking and saying hey i could offer these things or any of them even feel helpful and then checking in, you know, um, maybe it's in a couple of weeks, you mark on your calendar, just check in with this friend. How are you? Um, I care about you. I care about your grief. And just letting people know that you're a safer person to witness them. And But it, it does start, I think, even before the reaching out to friends with reminding ourselves that we don't have to fix or change, that that's not going to most likely be the thing that helps them, <laughs> but we can simply witness. Do we have the space to witness? And um, what could we, yeah, what can we do to remind ourselves we don't have to have an answer? So that's a powerful practice and in partnerships, relationships of any kind. To, you know, here, are, if our partner or friends had a crazy day and you're listening, you're listening, and then you maybe reflect back a couple of things they said. I heard that it was a really chaotic day and you felt a lot of anxiety and grief came up just trying to like use their words exactly and um is there anything that yeah could nurture you tonight that i could offer a cup of tea or a hug um or is there something you need to hear that would be helpful 
Or I hear you, I love you, your grief matters. Yeah, just making, bringing it down, simplifying it. That's basically uh, coaching 101. It's so okay. And 102, 103, and all the levels is <laughs> so much of just listening and, and witnessing and, and mirroring back. So, and, um, and also a powerful part, you know, I'm joking about the coaching part a little bit, but also, you know, parenting is another one, I think too, like, and friendships and just remembering that we don't have to fix people that, that they're one of the, the, basis of my coach training was that everybody is um, naturally create, creative, resourceful, and whole. And that's been something that, you know, I don't necessarily do all of the things in my coaching all the time every day, but that's one thing that I, that like is, that just extends to everything in life is that we can, when we can approach every interaction, every person, and I think especially in situations of um, with grief where we maybe don't have an, I uh, don't have a lot of experience or confidence, um, and are still learning to remember that we ourselves are naturally creative, resourceful and whole. And so is the person that we don't need to fix them. Um, they're, they're resourceful as well and they're whole. Um, and, and so are we, and if we can both show up to that interaction with that kind of feeling, um, it just changes everything. It, it, it removes a lot of pressure and, um, takes off a lot of like the, the neediness and the, um, like the, the snap your fingers and have everything you feel better and just be in the moment and just be with what is and who is and how you are. Uh, so that's like a little, a little nugget from my coach training that I think has been really powerful in, in my life. And I think also applies really, really well with the wisdom that you just shared. So good. Absolutely. And what is wholeness, right? When you say creative, everyone is creative, resourceful and whole. I love breaking down the definitions. What is wholeness to me? Wholeness is our humanness, our full spectrum of humanness is this person is whole and complete as they are in their grief. It means they're sharing with me something very intimate that they loved, that they've lost. And that is part of their wholeness, right? It's instead of this grief is over there and it's bad and like being like it's 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 all a part of this. They are whole in that grief, in their love of what they yeah, I love that. Yes. Thank you for taking it that that extra step. So good. So good. Um, okay, I have a bit of a selfish question. <laughs> a couple of them have been selfish, but uh, I'm probably not the only one who struggles with this. I've heard you talk before about anticipatory grief. And I'm wondering if you could kind of touch on that. And then here's kind of my um like my my own interest is I'm wondering like if there's a difference between anticipatory grief and anxiety over something in the future. And where that line is between, I'm like, I don't want to use the word normal, but like, I guess healthy and thriving and valid versus not helpful and not, uh, not, I don't know what the word is. I feel like there are times where my anxiety, it serves me. And I've talked to other people as well about this, um, that it can show what's really, what's, what's important or something we may be missing, or it may just, it's another part of our wholeness as we've been, we've been saying. Um, but also there are times where it can actually, it takes away from, from some of my even enjoyment in the everyday. So I'm wondering if you could speak to anticipatory grief and if you have any insights on the, the anxiety piece too. Excuse me. Powerful, powerful inquiry. And uh, it's not, yeah, it's not selfish in a bad way at all. It's beautiful because it's, it's speaking I mean, to a lot of us right now. Um, anticipatory grief is often defined as, you know, the grief around an impending loss. And a lot of the time it's talked about regarding, say, a loved one who's 
in the end of life will be dying soon um, and so many parts of grief that we don't even talk about or acknowledge is that we can experience anticipatory grief around so many things right the anticipatory grief uh, could be there regarding say your your daughter and she's going to kindergarten or <laughs> you know and the change in the relationship and um it can be so many things so to just really claim and validate that it's real and it matters if we're experiencing or noticing and becoming aware that we have anticipatory grief around different parts of our lives that we can um, step into validating that and now it's so important to talk about because we're in this very liminal um, space of what our lives were like before right now what are they going to be like to me it's it's so liminal it's so unknown i mean we like to kid ourselves maybe before the pandemic that we knew more but really it's all a mystery <laughs> but now it's it's so uh obvious it's so emphasized it's so you know clear that things and everything is changing so to honor that i think on some level and for some folks really intensely noticing it experiencing it and everyone that I've been connected with or working with has spoken to, even if they didn't use the language of anticipatory grief, um, but this sense of, yeah, a grief connected to not knowing. And so this is a natural response right now, I believe, is a natural response right now to the way of the world. And it makes sense. And I think it's been, you know, like a healthy response and then can absolutely be connected, yes, to anxiety, which again, instead of just being like anxiety, good or bad, um, to just be more spacious and compassionate to say, yeah, of course, of course we have anticipatory grief right now. We're anticipating how and all the ways that our lives have changed, will continue to change. What is that gonna look like? And it goes on and on and yeah, I feel anxious about that. Yeah, of course. And so flooding in compassion, not just as an idea, an intellectual idea or concept, but compassion as an action, um, that maybe we still have this underlying anxiety daily that we're noticing. And always in my work is staying curious to, okay, if that's here right now, if that's makes total sense as a natural response right now, how can we be more supported in the anxiety and is there anything physically we can do to digest some of that anxiety integrate it daily and there's some simple physical things we can do yes and then maybe we don't feel so frozen by it you know um, as you were i think speaking to the times where it can really be intensified so much so that we feel like we can't function and so i think the underlying piece is validation uh drawing out a, a little in our mind's eye, you know, a diagram of like, oh, everything's connected right now. So of course, the grief, the anticipatory grief connected to anxiety, yes, this makes sense to keep validating. And then to support ourselves and each other in physical, somatic, physical, body-related things we can do to help, because anxiety is very active. Just, we're talking about grief that's active, anxiety is very active in the body. Um, and sometimes, yeah, physical things really help support integrate that or help us feel less um, consumed by it or stuck in it um, so it may not be that yes at the end of the day when i work with someone that everything is just like smooth and and there's no anxiety but it's usually gone down in volume and there's ways to be supported in it because yeah it can be just immobilizing sometimes for some folks 
for others it's just kind of there but yeah what are how are we being supported in it and there's not just one answer for some folks it's like drink more water get more grounded in the body other folks shaking or doing a physical practice um, and even just the compassion piece any regular practice of compassion towards ourselves can shift our perception on the anxiety instead of thinking I'm failing, I'm not spiritual enough. <laughs> you know, like what is the story around the anxiety too? Because that can be harmful to us and more immobilizing or more compassionate and liberating, if that makes sense. So much sense. Really good. Thank you. Thank you. You make me feel way, I mean, I felt okay, but I, I just feel so, uh, so seen and so validated uh, crying on a facial table last week and, and just, um, yeah, like so many things that you, it's so interesting that you said it, it makes sense as a collective that we're experiencing this. And, um, and I also could like myself, I could sense the difference between the grief that I felt last week, uh, thinking about my daughter growing older and things that I'd missed out on or maybe that kind of that kind of piece and also those moments where I have literally been frozen or paralyzed with anxiety and so that's really really that's interesting I definitely could sense the difference um and I also love what you said about compassion as an as an action I mean that's huge and I'm I think that's probably a big part of difference maybe for those two for myself, even in the last year and a half where I've been, where I've experienced anxiety is um, in the beginning, it was very much like the, what's wrong with me? What's going on here? Why can't I handle this? Um, I need to be more coachy or high performancey or all those things. And to now being able to be like, yep, I'm just going to cry it out on a table and it is what it is. And this is meant, this is a part of my, my experience and what I'm feeling. So that's, that's so interesting. Oh. Thank you. What does it look like then, compassion as an action? I've heard you say a couple things, and I know it's deeply personal, but I also know you have a lot of different practices and tools. So um, can you share a few with us? I know there's, you've already shared a few on this episode, um, but you know what, el what else would you say in terms of those practices? Yeah, it can be very, very seemingly simple things that really help, which if you're in an anxious place and you just feel like, Oh yeah, I've been a yogi for many years or doing this practice for many years, but I just can't seem to access it right now. So I really believe in giving people very simple things to start to shift the energy because sometimes we don't have the, yeah, the energy or the drive once we feel so stuck. So one of my um, favorite ones is compassionate gestures. So instead of just, again, thinking my way about compassion, um, I may take hands on my heart. And not just taking them there, but just checking in, validating myself and just saying, okay, I really see and sense that I'm scared and anxious um, and saying to myself, you deserve support and you're worthy of love and, you know, I'm here and I care. Or if it feels hard to extend that to myself, I might imagine, you know, loved ones or ancestors around me or with me. Um, there's no one way to focus or play with your imagination, but as long as it's creating kindness towards yourself, your dialogue or your playing with your imagination, seeing yourself, if you're having an anxious moment, you see yourself as a child who's anxious or an elderly person who's anxious or an animal who's anxious in your imagination. And then how are you going to go and tend to them? So maybe I bring, you know, the elderly person who's anxious in my imagination flowers and we sit and smell the flowers together 
um, or my little you know, child self seeing them anxious and I bring over, um, you know, some crafts and we start to craft um, and hug. And so just that energy of like physical touch because the body's getting a message and it might be also tapping the heart. I'm here, I matter, I feel deeply and that's okay. Just whatever is really, really loving and fiercely kind towards ourselves. Gesture of compassion could also be a hug, which could be squeezing. <sighs> instantly, I didn't force that. I just instantly took a deeper breath myself. Um, you can also stroke. There's holding your belly or your uterus. If you're wanting to speak more to the uterus, um, your hands would be just above the pubic bone, quite low on the belly. For some folks, holding the face or forehead and back of the skull, a feeling of containment. And so the combination of the gesture with thoughts, uh, visualizations that are pouring kindness towards yourself, you know, um, that one is simple and a favorite one. Like I'll give an example. It was, I don't know, a little while ago now, but in some really deep grief that was very valid and real. So I was able to recognize that. But the story around my grief was was judging myself. So I honor the grief, but in my mind's eye, I was being like, oh, I, you know, here I am again, stuck in this grief. Like I was being unkind to myself. And so I was in a little fetal pose, having a big cry, letting myself cry. So that was great. I was just all like tensed up and noticing the dialogue that was unkind towards myself. And then I don't know what I thought of, maybe just like my inner child. And I went from there to then I just cradled my face instead and did this very gentle little stroke and said something to myself, like internally, like, I know I deserve kindness and not judgment for this grief that I'm holding. And it was just that shift and that little hand gesture shift, but also with awareness that I want to be kinder to myself, like how I would touch, you know, yeah, like my, my sweet little dog or a sweet little friend's baby with that real tenderness. And that felt like my whole system, my body softened a bit. I took a deep breath and trusting that simple things can really hold us. So sometimes right now, compassionate gesture for me as I'm again, dancing with some authentic grief coming up is like, I'm going to drink two and a half to three liters of water a day. Because I'm crying a lot and I'm going to replenish and water is very grounding. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great. Let's have a sip. I got my giant jug here. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. So it can be many, many things. Like I said, I think because we're so beautiful and evolving as people, sometimes what's a compassionate gesture for me is um, the fallen flowers right now in spring. Um, I grabbed a bunch this morning and then I filled the bowl and I put the flowers in the bowl, which the bowl of water is a ritual of grief where the water is like a community. It holds us in our grief. I can blow into the water or cry into the water or just hold like a tangible representation of my heart. I can taking care of my heart. And so it's an action. It's not just me thinking of, I want to touch beauty to help me in my grief. Um, I'm doing an action. And so compassion is an action. Yeah. It could be those things. It could also be, Oh, I'm really, really like sore and tight. I'm going to put on a song. And just for that length of the song, shake my whole body. <laughs> 
or I'm going to compassion also looks like boundaries. You know, we don't, we're like sometimes like, Ooh, self-care with compassion. But sometimes the most compassionate thing in the world is creating a boundary. And, uh, I'll just mention this deeply or quickly, even though it could be a whole workshop, but for those of us who bleed, who menstruate, um, we're very aware. Our bodies are aware of the collective energy. So we're having a personal experience of whatever's unfolding our personal grief and the collective, for some folks right now, they're bleeding heavier than ever um, with the ex in blood. Yeah, it's, it's extra grief. And for others, they've stopped bleeding or their cycles are really different. And I really um, think that we just need to take extra care and be extra sensitive and protective of that very sensitive, powerful time. So for me, for example, it's, yeah, uh, sometimes canceling a plan <laughs> or creating a boundary of, you know, I love you for, you know, the rest of the day. I'm going to be off my phone. I really need time and space. Um, and I'll connect with you tomorrow or, of course, of any other kind of boundary. Those are just some examples of passionate action. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I had shivers at least three times. I think I'm going to take a snippet of this video, too, and just put it alongside with the show notes. Because the way, you know, I was following along and putting my hands where you were doing it and the visual of it was really powerful. And I could feel, I know for you as well, you felt um, your body releasing and sighing. And for me, you, for me too, I felt lots of, lots of, I just felt calmer. And yeah, just, I don't know, more nurtured, totally more nurtured. That's, that's the word. Uh, yeah, I do a lot of the hand face stuff. <laughs> Teresa can see me here. Um, and, uh, so I'll, I'll post this with the show notes, this little video. So you guys can take a look at this as well as you're watching or as you're listening, you can take a look at some of these beautiful actions that, that Teresa, Teresa spoke of. Those are incredible. So good. I also think it's really fascinating. And I'm, so I'm, I'm really glad that you're bringing in a lot of this body work because I think that's really underappreciated in our society. And it's something that I'm not hugely trained on in. So I love that we get to collaborate and I get to, you know, learn from you. And so do, so does everybody listening here today and the members of our community and mastermind too. So thanks for bringing that, that really cool and, and important wisdom about our bodies. Like they hold so much and we don't always understand how to access that knowledge or that wisdom within them or how to, how to really nurture them. Yeah. How to support, like I keep saying it, but it's so true. How to support integrating these different emotions and digesting them just like we digest food. There's processes in the body with how our emotions are felt in the body, how we can really support. And yeah, we're not really, we're, what's valued most is the intellectual journey or the intellectual um, experience and we you know talk therapy is wonderful i do it i love it I, I respect it and we also need to move our bodies we live in these bodies our breath our diaphragm i mean some of the body work you know i do with folks is yes we may be doing a yoga class specifically geared to anger and and grief and all these things and moving our bodies in specific ways and a lot of times i'm doing one-on-one -on -one work with folks um, in body work, massage, um, energy work, where we are staying curious to where they have noticed grief, trapped, stuck, um, felt in the body, and whether it's, you know, a gentle uh, holding touch, like a nurturing hold, or massaging the womb, um, it's just incredible. Like, there's so many possibilities of how we can be supported, and that's, that's the exciting piece for me, where people are like, oh, your, you know, work sounds heavy, but I'm like, but there's also this beautiful piece of, like, we maybe don't realize all the resources and ways we can reclaim and healing is possible 
you know, at any time or reclaiming is possible anytime. So just to know there's so many more resources and options that we've been taught. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you for sharing so many of them with us already. I want to tell us more about how people can collaborate with you, work with you, because I know you have many beautiful offerings. So tell us all, all of the things that you do so we can all, all take part. Thank you, Lisa. I appreciate this so much as a small queer owned business that's taken some really big hits during a pandemic, you know, any, you know, support of small businesses that any of us can create is just such a, a help. And so I thank you for that support. And yeah, my offerings, you know, they're pretty vast, but it's always about transitions, thresholds, whether it's offering weddings, uh, funerals, personalized ceremony is something I love to speak to, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or with a small group of folks and a personalized ceremony could be around anything from honoring um, a transition in your life that just society, you know, doesn't honor or personal grief or um, someone who's, you know, uh, recently been divorced and they want to honor that relationship, that ending and their new beginnings or transitions in motherhood. Um, personalized ceremony is so beautiful. So I offer lots of that. And of course, the womb healing work, uh, privileged to have learned from midwives um, in Central America and my own ancestry of Italian lineage. And um, I love sharing these womb healing rituals, massage, um, body work with folks who are open to it. And um, yeah, I mean, for many things. So even work with couples a lot and where we're relearning and unlearning uh, nonverbal ways to support each other, more energetic, physical, you know, emotional ways to connect and support each other. Um, and yeah, sometimes folks will hire me just one-on-one -on -one to connect and work together or sometimes for group workshops or ceremony gatherings from grief to celebratory, you know, gatherings. And it's just a joy. It's always a collaboration for me, like a co-creation with you or with whoever connects with me and that we're really honoring from a base of consent and your intentions and visions, what you need, what's important to you. So it's not about my agenda, but really honoring, yeah, your experience. And yeah, what else can I say that I just, I, my approach is based in yeah, consent and autonomy and sovereignty and, um, and deep care and nurturing. So no, no agenda to fix. There's no hierarchy that I'm the healer and, you know, anything like that. There's no hierarchy. It's just, let's walk each other home. And one of my favorite things is witnessing people finding their power they had all along. Witnessing people remembering, yeah, their infinite nature, their worthiness. Um, and leaning in, leaning in. We all need each other, right? Yeah. So La Lupa Via is my company. The Wolf Way is the translation because I believe wolves have uh, such a beauty and magic. They remind us we need each other. Wolf pack. Wolves remind us we need the wildness. We need nature. Beauty in nature helps us heal in our grief, helps us integrate our grief. Uh, wolves remind us that we need rituals, um, whether it's one that you made up yourself or with a group. And when we forget that sort of wisdom brings us back to everything that matters. So it's La Lupa Via on Instagram and Facebook. And I'm just so grateful. Lisa. thank you for being courageous, taking the risk to being revealed, you know, your personal stories, taking that risk and to be vulnerable. Um, but what a gift when we give ourselves and each other permission to be honest and it changes everything. 
So I thank you and honor you for what you're doing and creating in your community and your passion for community care. That's the way through right now, I believe, is keep feeding community care. Yeah. I agree. Thank you so much, Teresa. And I've got to say, you know, you said one of the biggest things is uh, one of the biggest joys in this work that you do that could be very heavy and I'm sure is heavy at times is seeing people find their own power. And you've certainly done that for me. You know, I've been, like I said, you know, from your prenatal yoga classes uh, to partner prenatal yoga to womb healing ceremonies with you and your, your, every time I always just have profound shifts and, um, and just remember who, like who I am and what I have inside of me. And it never, it always just feels so supportive and in community. And I'm like already like, okay, how fast can I go online and book my next session with you? (laughs) Because it's so great. Um, so make sure you guys go follow along with, with Teresa Alupa via on Instagram, go check her out on her, on her website. I think on Instagram is where you kind of show, cause you do events as well. And you even do a, you do a retreat as well. Mm-hmm. You do a lot of things. Like you are, you're definitely sharing, um, you're lifting the veil on a few things, but like you, uh, there's a whole beautiful play shop of experiences and ways that you support and create community and one-on-one. Um, so follow along to know all the amazing things that, that Teresa is doing. Uh, trust me, you, you don't want to miss out because they're, they're good. And, uh, I, there's a couple of us, uh, that are, that have our eye on your retreat as well. Um, so stay tuned. I'm sure after this episode, I better, maybe I should book my slot now before everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you you also so generously had a special offer for our listeners as well. Uh, can you share that with us? Yes, um, I love to, of course, always make my offerings accessible. That's a big part of the social justice piece of my work, and um, I love to offer, uh, yeah, some special um, discounts when when I can. And so, for anyone listening, if you're curious about one to one sessions, whether it's womb healing work or um, personalized ceremony or grief support, um, offering half off my, um, my support sessions. And I do offer them virtually for those who prefer that, or if you're living abroad and also um, in person with COVID care and restrictions or COVID precautions <laughs> and care um, or outside even. So there's lots of um, options for what you might choose if you wanted to yeah, connect. That's incredibly generous. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, and you know, we were a small business too. I, and we believe in small business and the power to change the world through small business. So, you know, we want to, we want to support you too. So, and I know the people listening as well, there's lots of small business owners, lots of people, um, that want to support as well. So that was a time and I love this community and we all just support each other. It's, it's beautiful. Um, before we go, I have, I have one more question I want to ask you. It's like a serious question. And then I have some, some fun ones. Uh, so I, I, maybe this, I, it's not the right thing to do to label you this way, but I see you as an activist and also a revolutionist. Like, I really feel like you're changing the world. So I, I want to hear, you know, in your words, what do you see as the revolution that you're creating here and the, the change that you, and, and what does that look like? What kind of a world do you see? Mm. Oh, I love that question. And thank you for that reflection. It means a lot. Give me shivers because I've always loved the um, Che Guevara quote. Um, At the risk of sounding ridiculous, I believe all true revolutionaries are led by love. And I always speak, I don't know if you know this, Lisa, but like every teacher training I leave, it's always like I talk about revolution on the first day and people are like, whoa, this woman's intense. Like what? But really, 
um, revolution to me is change and we need change. So to me, it's like trusting that little actions, whether it's self-compassion uh, and undoing capitalist tendencies, you know, but like resting more self-compassion in different ways is a part of that revolution. I can care for myself, understand my needs, how I express in the world, my soul. I can go out into the world and also support back. And yeah, I love feeding this revolution of love. I love feeding the revolution in reproductive justice, death justice, social justice. Um, it's, it's everything. So in whatever ways that we can, amongst everything that we're juggling, uh, feed this revolution of love. Um, it's everything. And it has a ripple effect. And uh, that's to me, you know, whenever anyone takes a training with me, I always just say, it's okay if you don't teach this thing that I'm, you know, training you to teach, but maybe I just hope that your fire is lit and, and education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire and that's WB Yeats. And so I just hope that people get fired up for something that they care about themselves another, and knowing that, that it's part of the revolution. And sometimes a revolution is, is resting more so we can charge up to then support community, right? Like <laughs> it comes in many forms of revolution. <laughs> oh, way to, way to end us on all the goosebumps here. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Okay. Here's just my fun, my fun questions here that I like to ask all of our guests. So obviously you're on a podcast called Golden Girls. So what is the goal that you're working on right now? Mm, beautiful. Um, I am risking vulnerability and I'm doing uh, a course soon that is uh, it's going to be so powerful it's something that we don't really have much of in this culture and it's um, body work and it's a lot of internal body work for internal scars from birth and from all kinds of other reasons um, and of course working deeper with the uterus the pelvic floor so it's going to be very um, powerful healing uh, confronting, I think for me personally, to work through a lot of healing. And also it just feels like so necessary, this goal I have to serve my community in the ways that we really desperately need. Very cool. All right. Well, I'm, you know, I'm going to keep following you along and wait to see, <laughs> see what that looks like. So cool. Um, okay. In the, in the last year, what is the best lesson that you've learned? Whew. Best lesson I've learned in the last year. What a year it's been. <laughs> yeah, this is May 17th, 2021. So, I mean, it's been a year. <laughs> it's been a year. Um, I, you know, I don't know if it's a new lesson, but um, that, because I've always strived for creating, yeah, community and intimacy. But the lesson is just like, no matter what, like always reach out for intimacy and community. And maybe intimacy is through, touching nature more, um, or FaceTiming a friend instead of texting, um, but just really prioritize intimacy in my life. Yeah. Dang, that's good. I like that. Prioritize intimacy. Oh, so good. Uh, okay. I don't know if you, are you vegetarian or maybe even vegan? I'm sort of between vegetarian and vegan. So Okay. Okay. So this question, I can probably totally... do a vegan version of what you're going to ask. All right. Give me the vegetarian and vegan version. Uh, poutine. Do you, do you, I love poutine personally. Yeah. Uh, so I always want to know, are you like a shredded cheese or a cheese curd kind of person? Um, now I'm craving poutine. Um, <laughs> I know I have that effect on people. <laughs> I love talking about food. I'm part Italian. So it brings me joy and then makes me hungry. Um, yes, it, it would be a vegan version. 
And um, I don't know if you've ever had blue hair and cheese. They're local. They're becoming very famous, but it's like the most beautiful vegan cheese you can imagine. So it's I'm so good. Yeah, vegan uh, blue hair and cheese of some kind on fries. And um, I don't know. I'm pretty open, but the curds are pretty fun. That feels nostalgic for me. <laughs> okay, I love that. Oh my gosh. Okay, so I'll make sure we tag blue heron as well. They are really great. You must yeah. have some vegan curds. They must do that. Yeah, I think so. Or some of the cheese is more like easy to make into curds. Yeah, yeah. And if <laughs> if not, and they're listening, you know. <laughs> um, okay. If you had a magic wand, what would you? And one wish, what would you use the magic for? Oh. <laughs> Uh, I would use it to change anyone in power who is racist or homophobic or transphobic and put all of the most beautiful uh, Black, Indigenous, people of color in, in power and leader positions. And Yeah. <laughs> cool. Oh, my gosh. Goosebumps again. Very cool. Very cool. <laughs> um, okay. Back to food. Yeah. Because <laughs> I am also part Italian, so I'm, I feel you on this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> If you could travel anywhere for right now for food, where would you travel and what would you eat? Mm, I love that. Oh, it's, yeah. When I had the absolute privilege to travel, it was always about like food first of that place that I would return to, especially. Um, I mean, I have to say, yeah, uh, a tie. Be, I'm going to do a tie between Italy because that's where the familia is and that's where so much of the beautiful food is and like the food growing on the land and the authentic ways of preparing Italian, you know, making gnocchi all together. <sighs> um, and Costa Rica, because I used to travel before the pandemic, very privileged to go to Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Central America every year in the spring. And um, yes, the food off the land, especially tasting cacao from cacao pods growing in the land. Whew, yes. Wow. Okay. I'm, I think by now everybody's hungry. If you're not yeah. hungry, <laughs> then <laughs> I don't know what is going on there. Um, that sounds amazing. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> thanks for ending on a bit of a fun light yes. note. Um, yes. But I, I want to say, Teresa, thank you for such a deep and profound conversation and also experience. You know, I think I'm sure we both you and I felt a lot of things in our bodies. I'm sure anybody listening, whether it was tears, whether it was sighs, whether it was that hug, whatever you felt, whatever you needed. Um, you know, thank you, Teresa, for creating this space for, for being here and sharing all your incredible wisdom. Um, you know, you are absolutely changing the world in many ways. And I know with, with this episode, with everything you just shared here, um, and with, with the work that you continue to do, you're, you're making a space for all of us to, to give ourselves more compassion and not just in our heads, but physically give ourselves more compassion. And, you know, I really feel like you let, allow us to live our lives in the deeper throes and to really be our, in our wholeness and the messy, messiness of humanness and also to then really thrive and be authentic and, and feel all the beautiful things in life as well. No, it's a, such important work and there's nobody better to do it than you. Thank you so much. Thank you. These are gifts, these words, and I adore you and bow to you and to everyone listening. Thank you for your openness. And if you listened and it was a journey for you, just try anything from a little shake out of your body or a dance or a cry or journaling or a walk out in nature and drink some water and just know that, yeah, there's ripple effects when we speak truths. So you may have all kinds of different things come up, but just keep connecting to how do you compassionately hold yourself in integrating this podcast. 
Yeah. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. Oh my gosh. You have an amazing ripple effect. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If something spoke to you, send me a message by sharing this episode and tagging me on social media. If you know someone who would love to hear this episode, please share it with them too. Because I love surprises, make sure you subscribe to the Golden Girls podcast today. It's the only way to find out about bonus surprise episodes and make sure you don't miss a single beat on your golden journey. Thanks again for listening and I will talk to you in the next episode of the Golden Girls podcast.